0: Hello again. Welcome to the Content Strategy Podcast. I'm your host, Christina Halverson. This podcast is brought to you by contentstrategy.com and Braintraffic, a content strategy consultancy. Find out more about Braintraffic at braintraffic.com. Hello, and thanks once again for joining me on the Content Strategy Podcast. Very happy to have you here. I am also happy to have here with me Sarah Deatley, who is joining us from lovely Seattle. Uh, Sarah is a customer experience analytics expert driving strategies for major corporations. And right now, she's currently focused on marketing optimization across content and media at Microsoft. Previously, she's driven content analytics and optimization at Dell Apollo Education Group, Ooh, EGENCIA, is that right? Yeah, that's correct. EGENCIA, which is actually Expedia, is this right? And CDK Global, yeah. which is actually ADP. Are those like the the fronts for those organizations?
1: Uh, well, for EGENCIA, it's one of the brands within Expedia Group, that the B2B I corporate see. travel, and then CDK Global was acquired by ADP.
0: This is one of the things I love about this podcast is that I'm
1: always learning,
0: <laughs> always learning. Exactly. On the last, the last uh, podcast interview that I did, I found out that Zagat and Fromers are both owned by Google. Did you know that? I, I did not,
1: no. Yeah, see,
0: Google everywhere. You didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> and now you've come onto the podcast and you've learned something. It's mutually beneficial all the way around. Uh, Sarah, thank you so much for being here today. I, the reason that I have brought you here today is that um, I am super excited to talk to you about your work in analytics and uh, that you came to analytics because of your excitement about and your background in data science. Is that right?
1: Uh, kind of the opposite. It's more, Damn it. I have ended up in. Um, in the more data science side of things, just because that's oh, where analytics has gone. Um, but started to get Yeah, I was like, <laughs> it's very random and pretty unique. And I think it's why I always end up looking at content analytics because I was an English major in undergrad and I didn't want to be a lawyer or a teacher. So I thought, oh, I'll be a librarian. That could be cool to help people research things. So then I moved to Ireland to study Irish history so I could specialize in academic librarianship. And then I came back to Seattle, to University of Washington to focus on library science. And after one quarter, I realized this is not for me. I need something a little faster paced. Uh, But fortunately, the program I was in was really broad. And so they let me take classes in um, user experience design, user-centered research, um, database design, and interaction design. and Within a library um, science program, really? Yeah, they, it was more on um, they called it information science, I but see. it was a big enough school that they were like, oh sure, just don't drop out, take other classes <laughs> and stay <laughs> with us. Um, and then I was working at a museum doing web development and design as a um, side job. And they said, oh, can you take a look at our Google Analytics account? I was like, sure. I don't know what that is, but okay. And I started to get into analytics because I thought, oh, well, this is a really great way to prove if people are having a good or bad experience versus just um, doing usability tests or something. And then in my first job out of grad school, I was applying for a UX design job, and they said, you know, you should probably go into analytics, like, you could go really far in that, so I was like, I don't know what that is, but fine, I'll keep doing this thing, so (laughs) I kind of stumbled into analytics, but I think because I had this weird hybrid um, kind of social sciences background, plus knowing analytics tools, I've always been asked to look at the things that no one knows how to measure like content analytics. But um, since I've been doing it for 10 years now, I realized over time that industry was shifting more toward data science. So I went back to school to get uh, more educated in data science and start incorporating that into what I do. So, yes, in another life, I could have been a librarian living in Ireland, but instead, I'm doing content analytics. <laughs>
0: And how <laughs> and how do you feel about that I have, i'm feeling, I'm sitting here listening to you. I mean two things: one, I just want to say that every single person I have on the podcast at some point says something like it was a weird and winding road or i have such a weird <laughs> hybrid, hybrid background and it's part of why yeah. i love working in content strategy because people just have the craziest paths to doing what they're doing now secondly i'm feeling like a total idiot going starting with like and you started in data science and in my own defense i think that's where we like landed before we started the the interview and i before we started recording and my brain just it's it's just before the holidays for those of us now joining <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, and, no it, worries. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> so, and this will go up after the holidays when my brain is cleared and I'll just be like, oh, what was I thinking? Uh, anyway, that is, so you've got an extraordinary background and uh, I'm really interested now to hear about how this is all coming to bear in your work that you are doing um, and that you have been doing over the last several months uh, in, at Microsoft. Can you talk about that just a little bit?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, I think what I'm doing now is a bit broader. So I'll I'll touch briefly on what I did first at Microsoft and then what I'm doing now. Um, So what I'm doing now is helping to, basically, we've built a giant data set um, that incorporates all of our different marketing silos data. Uh, We finally have found a way to connect everything and it's a big deal because Microsoft has so much data. And so now it's my job to help look at that data and build attribution models to understand the impact of different media touch points. um, And then also to start to look at content that no one has really looked at before because we didn't have the data to do so or we couldn't compare it as directly to other data points. So my job is really focused on Um, big data and analysis um, and trying to make sure we do something with the data we have. Uh, When I first started at Microsoft, uh, I was helping a team that was building a ton of B2B content, and that was really their focus, and they had no reporting, no measurement, um, and definitely no data science, so it was my job to come in and kind of help them out of all the content they had, uh, what was worth keeping or killing, how should they measure this, um, and then how do we scale these insights across many teams and many countries? So
0: I, I guarantee that a large portion of the of the audience that's listening right now is just salivating at all of the things <laughs> you're talking about. <laughs> like, what? I'm sorry, bringing meaning to big data and analytics? What? it What? <laughs> Um, yes. Yeah. So can you talk about just like on a very small scale for example where you would start if you if a if a marketing team one of the, let's say one of these siloed marketing teams came to you and they were just mm-hmm. like look we got all this data and we got all this content and we don't know what to make of any of it like where would you start with them how do you begin the conversation
1: Yeah I think one of the things that makes analytics more impactful and luckily some of the teams I've worked with have already had this Uh, it's having a really great sense of what your content is for and how much of it you have because if I'm going to come in and say like oh well here's the best KPI to measure this content um, really that's going to vary depending on who the content is for and what it's trying to do and Um, what we hope to get out of that otherwise I basically won't I'll just be guessing and I'll have to backtrack and say well my thought was is that you want this type of um, like article to help people select a product is that what you want it to be for Um, so it really doesn't require the marketing team to know everything about analytics but it's better if they do have a strong opinion on here's what we want content to do or not do, um, because then it helps me come in and say, like, well, let's now apply KPIs to those goals, and then we can start the process of, like, a really comprehensive content audit. And what are what are some sample goals? Yeah, so um, <laughs> I feel like I've seen pretty good goals where it's very granular and focused like we think this piece of content is meant for people that are just learning about a product Um, they may have heard of our company they may not have and we want them to basically know enough about us that they're willing to fill out a form so that we can continue the discussion with them Um, Essentially, the more you can tie a goal to, I hope people will um, either know more about us or interact with us more or complete a sale, that's really helpful. But also, the more I know about, like, who is this content for helps because if it's for a certain part of the life cycle or for a certain segment of people, like, This is for executives, or this is for IT professionals, or something. Then it helps me know in the data um, whether your content is getting to the right people or not, and if it's doing what we want it to do.
0: So, what are some examples of some bad goals? Like if people come to you and they (laughs) say, We're interested in these things, and you're just like, That doesn't matter.
1: Right. (laughs) Yeah, I see that a lot because a pretty easy trap to fall into is that the goal of content is just coverage and so especially when people are building up a content program and they're just checking off boxes like oh well we don't have this um ebook localized in France yet we need to get one in France or we don't have this video for this product yet we need a video for this product and that's kind of Their goal in that sense is just having something there for someone without really knowing that there's a demand for it. Uh, That's one example where it's a bad goal from a business perspective. It's an easily achievable goal, but it's really difficult to tie to business success down the road because then you've just created a bunch of content without knowing what it's supposed to accomplish. Uh, the other thing I'll see sometimes is <laughs> one-size-fits-all goals. Like, oh, this content is meant to help with um, decision-making. Like, Okay, <laughs> but what is that decision? <laughs> like, a lot of, Hopefully all the content helps someone make some kind of decision or understand something new, uh, and then you'll find this content that, Trying to do too many things at once, and you're like, "Well, there's no way this content will be all things to all people." Like, you need to either decide what it's for, or break it apart into something more specific, so that it can do something instead of just failing at everything. <laughs>
0: and the, that that's a that's a common complaint of content strategists everywhere. Let's try to get this content to do something instead of just failing. At everything. Right. <laughs> uh, that's a baseline. That's our baseline goal here is content strategists. So what will happen to me oftentimes is I'll walk into a room of, let's say, content marketers, and they, they will kind of be tearing their hair out saying, okay, so we have all this data. We're, we're not sure, though, if we are measuring the right things. We're not sure if what we're measuring is meaningful And, and what I'll find is that, I mean, what you say makes sense, right? Like they need to understand what the business purpose is or they need to understand what they're trying to help people do and who it's for. But a lot of times they don't, like, they don't have that information to begin with. I mean, do you, do you find that in some teams that like people are just sort of operating with, well, we've been, we've been tasked to create content and that's what we're doing and leadership wants clicks. I mean, do you see that in team, not necessarily Microsoft, but, you know, just in general?
1: Yeah, I mean, definitely. I've seen it everywhere I've worked at when I've worked on content. Um, Just because there's a disconnect, I feel, between the different ways you're always told to measure content, like see how far people scroll or see how many people click on that video or see how long they watch the video, things like that. and. Um, the actual bottom line business metrics so even if they're a content team that has a really clear idea of well this content should be helping with people buying the specific product Um, and then the only ways that they're told to measure are like how many people got to this page or something like well how do I know if that was enough and how do I know that those page views or that engagement had any connection to uh, these bottom-line business metrics. So I think it's a common problem, um, just because it's super easy to measure all those engagement things, and then it's really easy to have no idea <laughs> what they mean. And you
0: know, and what I usually will point to is, you've got to have some kind of qualitative research. To kind of tie into that in order to make, you know, the, the last team that I worked with kept talking about a narrative. We need more of a narrative. We need to be able to tell a story about what content's working and what's not so we can bring it back to our partners in the organization to talk about, you know, what what content we should be creating and what content is worthless. And and I, I sort of was saying, I think you need to actually talk to some end users about what's meaningful to them. I mean, is that part of what you are bringing to the table or do you find that there are other Ways to collect more quantitative data that can help
1: tell and shape that story. Yeah, I mean, I feel like they're they're two sides of the same coin. So I've definitely, like for example, I've had cases where uh, we've seen, um, a, like we've implemented a new content module, like some a third party that says, oh, we're gonna. Provide these recommendations of content, and then people will just naturally consume more content, and that'll be great. Um, And then we saw that no one was engaging with this uh, module, even though we thought it was in a pretty prominent part of a page. Um, But when there's an absence of activity, like there's not really a way to add in more quantitative data because all it's going to show is just that no one's clicking on this. It's not going to tell you the why. And so in those cases where we basically don't have enough data, um, you can incorporate qualitative things like um, surveys or in those cases, sometimes I'll do user testing so I can understand, like, what are the first things they're noticing on the page? Why are they not noticing this? What did they think the purpose of this was? Because you're not going to get that from um, any type of behavioral data. Right.
0: So when you, do you ever get the opportunity to, to sort of design an, a measurement program or an analytics program from scratch with a, the with a marketing team or is it more that you oftentimes are walking in and they're like, we have this thing and we need you to measure it and what should we do?
1: Uh, I would say most frequently I come in and I'm designing the measurement strategy from scratch because uh, there might be a measurement strategy but not for content specifically. It could be just for um, a certain business group overall, or um, a certain website or something. Um, and then other times, I, if I do actually come in and there's something there, it's usually not what I need it to be. So <laughs> I'll come in and kind of blow it up and then um, figure out something different where it is something that we can actually act on and tie to um, business KPIs. So tell me a little bit about the work
0: that you've done because you've worked in a lot of different places and obviously you have seen uh, analytics programs and capabilities shift and change radically over even just the last few years. Tell me me something that you've worked on recently that you were super excited about, that you were just like, I am
1: blowing my own mind right now. (laughs) I guess... One of the things I was able to do from uh, with one of the content teams I was working with that I just don't even think I had seen it before, or at least I had never thought to do it before, uh, was essentially we had um, various teams that had all been in this kind of building up content program phase where they were generating more content, creating lots of emails, trying to set up um, marketing automation programs. And so they were like, well, we just need to get the content there and then we'll set up these email programs. And um, essentially people will always read these emails, always open them and click on them and it'll be great. Um, What we found was that essentially the top – 10% of content was driving 90% of engagement and that in itself is um, not uncommon. There's always going to be a small percentage of content driving a lot of the engagement, Um, but we took it a step further, especially with email to say um, kind of what is that sweet spot in terms of how much content um should we be creating how much email should we be delivering before we start to hit essentially the the efficient frontier of that content and people are less and less likely to engage with it so uh, we did some modeling to understand as people were consuming more content and getting additional emails we could see where they're Likelihood to engage was dropping off a cliff. Mm. And so we could see with one uh, group, for example, that they had this program where they would send an email every week. It felt like for all time, but I think there was a cutoff at 30 emails or something. Um, but after the eighth, ninth, and tenth emails, uh, engagement dropped off, the likelihood of engaging never got any higher, and so we could kind of see, essentially, if you haven't started to engage people right away, um, it's going to be harder and harder to get them to consume even up to that 10th email, let alone these 30 emails, and so it gave the team kind of a number they could work back from, because then they could say, oh, well, what if we shifted these emails to slots one, two, and three, and these to four, five, and six, and trying to make sure they weren't wasting effort. And so that was something where, like, I've seen that applied in, in media analysis at times, but I've never seen it applied to content and how much content should we really have.
0: That's amazing and that must have that must have blown their minds too because that's a huge question that i i hear which is we're creating all this content is this too much do we need more how can we tell so being able to like identify those patterns and really be able to point and say this is when it stops mattering is pretty amazing
1: yeah it's helpful for them just to have a, an actual target based in data yeah. and then also they could then go to all their stakeholders and be like, well, here's why we're cutting out content. And we actually know how much we should be cutting out. And so then it just made all the other content teams be like, well, why don't we have that? How can we scale this? Right. um, Right. Made me popular for a while.
0: (laughs) Do you find that um, people bring you in when they are looking to make a business case for more content or less content? I mean, is that, is that a pretty common reason that you get
1: called? Um, yeah. I say generally with um, just being in the analytics, uh, you're called in to help with um, <laughs> I would say most frequently it's the time when things are not doing as well or they're more mature and so people are like okay well we need to start growing up and measuring what we're doing and be smart about it we're usually not called in in the very beginning when you're just coming up with something um, so I would say more frequently we're called in to help get rid of content than to help generate more um, though I have been asked like oh can't you build a model that tells me exactly what type of content to create, well, maybe not exactly, but there are there are things now where um, I've seen this from uh, Adobe and some other companies too, where they're able to use natural language processing to uh, basically break down all the components of your content uh, to see how much engagement it drives and so then they can compare it to something new you've created to see how similar those are and say, well, now this content has a high chance of being very engaging, or maybe this content has a very low chance because you're you've created content that's similar to this underperforming content. So I think it's getting to that point where people are thinking more about, well can we use the data we have to know what type of content exactly to create versus using the data to start hacking away at content?
0: Well, that's exactly what marketers everywhere want to hear. So that, <laughs> that's the best 2019 news you could have possibly delivered. <laughs> <laughs> um, Sarah we're about out of time so I wanted to thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today and if people are looking for you online where can they find you
1: uh yeah so it's probably easiest to connect with me on LinkedIn if people have questions um yeah I'd say that's probably easiest
0: great all right well thank you so much yeah you're welcome thanks for having me You've been listening to the Content Strategy Podcast. I'm your host, Christina Halverson. This podcast is brought to you by ContentStrategy.com and Brain Traffic, a content strategy consultancy. Find out more about Brain Traffic at, of course, BrainTraffic.com. Thanks, and we'll see you next time.